Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Melody from Liliac. You are listening to Jay Scott from The Hook Rock, place I come for new music and music talk. Yow! Good evening, everybody. It's Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Welcome back. Hope you're having a better 2021 so far. It's flying by. It's already the 7th of January. Crazy, crazy, crazy fast. But uh, nonetheless, I hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. I know we're dealing with a lot out there right now. A lot of stuff is going on. A lot of, a lot of crap around the country and... Like always, we try to be an escape for you, talking music, talking with great guests like we have today. We have Ms. Carrie Stevens, author, model, entrepreneur, and actress, to talk about her latest book, and one that I really, really thoroughly enjoyed, and it is called Unrated Revelations of a Rock and Roll Centerfold. What's going on, Carrie? How are you, Jay? I'm doing great. I'm just, you know, trying to stay sane like everybody else and um, happy to talk to you. And I'm so glad I released my book this year because it lets me live in the past. And that's my favorite place to be now. (laughs) It really is. That's a great statement because right now I think a lot of us are living on the memories of the things we found joy in, whether it's concerts, whether it's traveling, whatever it is. That's that's an excellent statement to begin the interview with. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's really saved me, actually, through uh, all of this. Um, I never was a person who believed in living in the past. I was always one of those people that, the, you know, point of power is in the present moment uh, kind of people. I believed in... Um, you know, you can't 
you can't you if you live in the, truly in the moment you can't be depressed but if you worry about the future you know or long for the past you know you, you're doomed but I've since discovered that um, well things have changed <laughs> yeah things have changed that's the bottom line um, so yeah now actually I'm very happy um, I'm so happy that I lived a life to the fullest and you know, my book, as you know, if you've read it, there's so much in it. And since I keep remembering so much more, um, whether I'm doing an interview or just randomly, I don't know, I'm in the bathtub or something. I, I just, so many memories come up from my past that, um, and I'm not going to say I took it for granted because I didn't. I always knew while I was living um, my best life you know, traveling all over the world and doing crazy stuff. I knew I was doing crazy stuff. But then I had this voice in the back of my head that said, someday you won't be able to do crazy stuff. I thought it was because someday I'd be like married and have a family. I wouldn't be, or I'd be old. Like I've traveled so much and I always looked at old people's canes, you know, I thought, oh, I'm, I need to do this while I'm young. But um, yeah, I had no idea that we'd be uh, just not allowed to do it. Well, we're going to get in all that because I really enjoyed reading this book, um, and there's a lot to cover. And one of the things that I really want to tackle is the things outside of Eric Carr. And we're going to touch on Eric a little bit because we are a music podcast, so we'll be a little bit about it. But there's a lot of stuff beyond your story with him. You have your own story. You have your own journey that is quite compelling and very interesting because not a lot of people have lived the life that you have and there's a lot to get to. And I, you know, I always appreciate uh, someone's journey and someone's adventure in life because it's you know, a great not story. a lot of people have survived the life that I have. It's Very, more true. Like it. Very true. Not, yeah. Not a lot of people have come out of it. A success story. And um, I'm not another Hollywood train wreck or another like byproduct of the rock scene. Um, and it's a survival story and it's empowering. Well, that's interesting that you say that because when you talk about empowering and I know that, you know, my, there's the first question I always ask every time I have a new guest, but I do want to just touch on this really, really quick. When we do talk about Eric, there is that sense of someone in your life at a very young age, you were in your early twenties he was really the first person that I believe really made you feel empowered and really offered you support because prior to that, right. I mean, we talk about your parents in the book, you know, the dynamic, you know, with, with the two different relationships with your father and your mother, and there really wasn't a lot of support and there really wasn't a lot of, you know, uplifting in terms of, I don't know if I knew. Yeah. I don't think I knew what support was until I had Eric support me. And that was, I didn't know. Right. And that's a huge moment for you. That's like that really, that moment when, you know, Eric is always supporting everything that you want to do and is always behind and supportive unconditionally. Your whole journey in life really begins there, right? Everything else before that is just all kind of preparation and all kind of you know, what I'm glad road? we're not on video because I'm already tearing up. Oh, um, right. Well, you know, I, there's something I've always um, felt about what you're saying, and that's that Eric's 
picked up where my parents left off. He raised me. He, you know, I left home when I was 17 and I, I, uh, I, I didn't know much put it that way. And, um, he shaped me into the person that I am today. I mean, he, he was truly an angel. I mean, he's, when I lost him, I felt like I lost everyone. I lost my boyfriend, my best friends, my parents, my grandparents. I mean, I lost, I, cause he was my everything. He was there for me in every way that everyone else should have been. And I think that people probably wonder why I'm still so attached to him all these years later. Um, because it was that powerful. Well, you he know, gave he, he gave really, birth to you. He gave he really gave birth to you. Yeah, and it, it feels like a beautiful exchange. Like I helped him out of this world, and he helped me. Into and this you mentioned world. that in the book, which is a very poignant moment. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you finally discover that, right? When you finally realize the purpose that you had, and or or the purpose that you both had together, right? You had to help him. You know leave and prepare to leave this world and he was preparing you to go on this journey after he was gone you know and it was such a I mean you impacted his life and he impacted your life and you know one of the things that I really picked up on the book and and, and tell me if I'm wrong but there is the journey of Carrie Stevens but that journey is born out of mourning and that mourning then turns Mm -hmm. into a celebration of life and taking chances and doing things that maybe you normally wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't have done had Eric, you know, stayed alive or you guys, you know, had that, you know, that, that, that relationship that, that you dreamed about, but you know, that was not meant to be, obviously it didn't happen, but the purpose. No, of- but every, every, every choice I made in life as I went further um, was connected to him and, I didn't realize that until my book was well, well, well underway because in the beginning it was supposed to be one chapter and then it was too long. I had to give him a few chapters and then he kept coming back and all my chapters and, and then it really, really hit me that, you know, he walked with me and that's like, that's, that's been, um, I don't even know a word for it when you, live this it's almost like I feel like I live in a different realm than other people like it feels lonely a lot of the time and it feels like a double secret life sometimes it's like I'm still so so connected to him in a way that um yeah it feels like your right arm is missing it's it's you know it's a strange kind of thing to explain to somebody that has doesn't have the feeling and most people um don't know what it feels like, but you know, I've attracted a lot of people, widowers in particular, um, who've read my book, who I've helped a lot. And, um, you know, that makes me feel better to know that I've my words help other people. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. No, no, um, no, no. I mean, but when you, I, I hope it makes sense. It does. It does make sense because, you know, there's so much to get to in, in your story, right? And there's a, and there's things before, you know, there's the way you're raised, you know, in a small town in, in Massachusetts, you know, moving to Memphis, all these things, you know, 
you were always being. Oh my god! Yes, so much to cover. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I go off on tangents. No, no, please, <laughs> please, please, no, please. I, you, know, I, you know, please don't be. You know, don't don't limit yourself. Um, but you know, the, like I said, everything was preparing you. You meet Eric. You guys fall in love. You have this beautiful relationship. It ends, you know, with with him passing. But it, but it really didn't end, right? He was kind of like your guide in the sky. Right. That, 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 yeah, that, that, it, it really didn't end. Right. And nobody, even if I didn't feel this way, uh, um, when I tried to get over it and move on many a time, you know, like his fans don't let me. <laughs> so I just like given into it now. I'm like, okay, I'm Eric Kirk's eternal girlfriend. Like, like it's a very weird existence, but, um, you know, once I kind of just gave into it, it became less of a um, torturous place to exist. You know, like I stopped I, feeling sorry for myself, and 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 I felt and and empowered, and I felt useful. You know, because my my message and my words are used to help other people, and and um, with purpose. You know, it's it's not in vain; it's with purpose. Well, you're, you're, you're right. You know, I mean, I, I have to imagine, you know, there's a lot of emotions, you know, when you, when you tap into these memories and, and all these experiences that happen to you, I, I talk to a lot of musicians and I always ask them about when they're writing a song, having to relive those moments and, and tap into the emotion that they were feeling when those moments happen. And that's not an easy thing to do writing a song. And I imagine when you're writing a 300 page book and you're, you know, bringing up all these memories and, and having these, these things, you know, happen anyone who's ever been in therapy. Right. And, you know, I've, I've been in therapy. I think everybody should go to therapy, you know, so whatever, I don't care if you judge me, but, um, Believe me, there's listeners. I, there's listeners that probably would, but that's oh, that, that was directed. I, yeah, at, I, that was directed at them, not well, to you. Um, but what I was going to say is, like anyone who's ever been to therapy, and every, you, you know what, listeners, stop judging everybody else. <laughs> who, like, they don't, I don't care if they don't like it. You know, everyone. I think everybody needs to just stop being judgy. Yes, that's that, that's my little bit of advice. You'll be a happier person if you just let go of judgment. Stop now being a, can, like. Yeah. Stop being a, a my, walking Yelp reviewer. You know, it's like. No, I can't. I can't stand myself and like that. Like I have to edit my thoughts. Like it's, it's work, but you know what? It's, I'm a much happier person. Again, sorry yeah. for the tangent. No worries. But um, like yeah, I was saying, it's, it's, it is yeah. extremely. It, it's it's extremely emotional. Um, it never ends. Like it's it's not like I wrote the book and it fixed uh, my pain. Everybody asked me, was it cathartic? And I said, no, it still hurts. It, yeah. it, it still hurts. And, and if anything, um, worse, because I'm talking about it all the time. Right. You know, like right. not only did I write about it, but I have to do, and I had no idea how my book would, would be received. And it was well received by the KISS fans. And that's, that's I, again, it's not a book about Kiss. It's not a book about no, Eric Carr. No. It's a book about Gary Stevens. Stevens right. and it's, it, yeah, it's just my journey. And I have to say, I, sometimes I feel like a fraud because 
you know, I get messages like, oh, where can I buy the book about Eric Carr? And like, it's not a book yeah. about Eric Carr. It's really about me. But this is, again, like, I, it, it's a dichotomy. Remember how I told you I feel like I live on a different, different realm? I have a double life. I, I'm still with Eric. Well, that makes me feel more so um, like a bigger weirdo um, because I try to live my own life. And it's always, I'm always pulled back to him. Yet, at the same time, I'm not resenting it because I have so much pride that I was able to do that. Because when he passed away in 1991, and I was only 22, and I felt like a weak little nobody that nobody would listen to, my goal in life was to keep his memory alive. And I got to this point of, you know, just being Carrie Stevens, where you know, yes, I've been an actress and a playmate and a model, and I I I wrote a book. And yes, my my most of my attention on about my book um, was to Eric. But guess where it's full circle again? Like I, my goal of keeping his memory alive, I did it. I actually did it, and I feel so much joy in that. And I feel connected to him. I feel like I get goosebumps. You know, like I get tears in my eyes. Like. I did it. That little girl grew up and she did it. She kept your memory alive. Oh my God. It's so beautiful. Really. It, is. It, it really is. You know, in, in when you, you know, talk about the old soul that your son is in the book and, yes. you know, and, and, and you have, you know, and, and you think back and I'm not comparing your son to Eric. I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, the, the, the two, you know, most important men in your life over the last 30 some years have been Eric and your son, you know, your son's still a young man, mm -hmm. but there's such a, there's such a, you know, I picked up on a, just a connection there is between how your son is and how Eric was in that, how, she, how he, your son keeps empowering you and keeps, you know, being your biggest fan and, and your biggest supporter, similar to what Eric was. No, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong to pick up on that. Um, my son and I have a really special relationship. Like, I really, I feel like he is my person. Like, I feel like he's the one person on earth that really understands me and accepts me. Um, he's beyond my best friend. And I know that's strange to talk about your own kid that way, but that's how I feel about my son. Um, I feel like nobody else really knows me. I mean, my son is, I left home, I told you when I was 17. Like, I, I, I don't really know if anybody, like a lot of people think they know me. Um, I don't think anybody does except my son. And, and he loves me and accepts me. And yeah, he knows everything about me. When I was going to write this book, I, of course, I had to clue him in on a few things. Um, I had to say, okay, well, there's some things you should know. I didn't want to embarrass him. You know, I had to come clean about some things um, without ruining the book. I told him a couple things about me. He laughed like a hyena. That's the first thing I told him. And the second secret I told him, he said, Mom, you're like 007. You're so cool. No judgment at all. And I said, so you think I should write a book? And he said, you have to. He said, you have to do it. So that was it, you know. And I, you know, I think back if, you know, with Eric, I mean, Eric would have been the same way with you. You know, he would have been like, absolutely go write this. This is great. And, and it's weird how, you know, there, there are people that come into your life, whether it's your son, whether it's Eric, whether it's, you know, Hugh Hefner, 
Howard Stern and we're you know all the people that you have been you know connected well, I to. Think, or met. I think a lot about to this day. I mean, I sometimes I pray to Eric's eyes and to him. You know, when I need to find the right words in an interview, especially when I'm talking about him, um, or make life decisions, or sometimes I just they just come to me and and I know there are messages from him and. When it comes to half, yeah, I I reflect on him a lot, and I think about the advice he would give me if he could. So it's a little bit different, uh, but yeah, he meant a lot to me. He meant a lot to me as well. You uh, in a very different way. You value above all else connection in a relationship. It is so important to you, and you know, it's 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 like you need to have a a somewhat of a spiritual connection with whoever you're friends with, whoever you're you know, in love I with. I think you're really right, and I don't think that that's something that I can control. No. Um, I have a lot of men uh, try to, and this is not just this week, I'm talking 30 years, that have tried to get to know me, uh, or I've had friends try to introduce me to friends, and I'm like, ugh, uh-uh, and... They said, well, how is anyone supposed to get to know you? And I, that that stopped me in my tracks, and, and I had to say, well, yeah, I guess I, I, I can be sort of unapproachable. I'm really friendly, yet you can't get close to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really friendly, but to get close to me is, like, almost impossible. Um, and it's not because I don't want to. It's just because if I don't, if I don't feel that spiritual connection, it's just, I just don't, and I can't force it. Um, and I know a lot of people bounce from relationship to relationship and friends, friend, and I just can't do that. Like I just feel things really deeply. Um, and so, I, think that's yeah, why, I, I think that's why when you have your heart broken, like it, it's, it's, it's more painful for someone like you because you, you are not an open book. And when you do get a connection with somebody, you then become that open book and you give a hundred percent to of yourself to that person. And then when it, you know, when it ends, however it ends, it's, it's painful. It's a painful experience for you because you're not a person when in a relationship, when you're, when you, when someone has your heart, you really, you really are all in. And, you know, there's, 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 it's not 50% with Carrie. It's a hundred percent. And, you know, and it's, how did it's, you figure this out? I mean, I'm interested to know how you figured this out. Cause you're right on. Well, I just look at, first of all, we start with Eric, right? We start with the relationship there and how that meant to you and how there was such a connection, even though he was much older than you, there was still a huge connection and, that never has left you. I mean, you talk about, you know, the coffee cup with the rainbow, um, you know, in your house that you were worried about when the fires were going on. You talk oh, about... Oh, yeah. That's now in a fireproof safe. Yes. I don't use it anymore. It's, yeah, that means everything to me. Um, yeah, it's, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I never, I never forgot. Yeah, oh. I feel things deep. I feel things deeply i'm yes. not a shallow person um i might play the character of a shallow person i'm misunderstood um and that's why i think it's i mean it's, i was propelled to write a book because i 
got to a certain point where I was tired of being misunderstood. And um, I wanted to explain, if not for myself, for the world, for whoever would listen, um, my feelings. And, and, you know, writing, writing them out did help me organize them, all of these deep feelings. Because when I wrote it, I didn't understand some of it. You know, like the Elway Steve, baby daddy, John Elway, like those relationships that come later in my life. Um, I didn't really understand um, those until cause I just put them away. Um, I put them, I put the letters and the photos in the ex-boyfriend box, you know, the one like a coffin that I write about in the book. Um, and I just put them away. And it wasn't until I was writing the book that I was forced to go back over those relationships and analyze the purpose of them. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say in that way it might have been cathartic, but I was already way over them uh, um, uh, emotionally. I think it's different when you real like, Eric passed away, and he was an angel in my life. Like, we never got to um, the point where, you know, there was, like, some people, like, a fight, a breakup, like somebody did something awful to you, you know, maybe I would be able to, um, well, I think that just it, didn't I, happen. You know, I can't even imagine yeah. that. I, I mean, it's, 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 if I had to get over him, I guess, see, I can't even imagine that. Like, I cannot imagine if he were alive that we wouldn't be together. Well, I a hundred percent agree with that. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I think with the relationship with Eric compared to the relationships that you had after him, it was it was easy with Eric. It wasn't complicated. I mean, there was, yeah, I mean, maybe there was some complicated, you know, in the beginning and, and, of course, at the end when he was, Well, of course, know, yeah. I was 19, right, I was right, 19 right. years younger than him. I was just, like, you know, a fan on the road, the one-night stand. I mean, like, I, I should have never even, like, ended up being his serious girlfriend and now part of his legacy um the craziest thing i've ever heard but it happened and yeah the other guys let's face it they met me after i was a playmate i eric died in 91 i did a very good job of avoiding uh serious relationships mostly because i was so much in grief um uh until and in 1997, I became a playmate. And after that, it was like, you know what? I might as well have been a little white bunny rabbit in the woods. And every predator in the forest was trying to eat me up. Sure. So you can't really compare Eric finding me. Like, well, I, was, I was just, okay, I was normal. <laughs> is that a word? I, I, is normal a word? You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I was just. I think I think, I think more girl. I think more with Eric and, and, and Pryor. Even though you had, you know, your 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 the beginnings of a rock, your rock star ways, there was still a sense of innocence with you. Okay, and I think after Eric passed and you lived your life, and I mean, a big moment in your life is when you go to Brunei. That's the first moment when you're actually. You mentioned you're on a plane. No one knows where you're going. You don't know where you're going. You have no idea. You you've met some of these people 
you know, just prior to you leaving. And now here you are in a foreign place halfway across the world. No one, again, knows where you are. Through that time there, you grew up in a way. When you came back, you were a completely different person. You were still mourning and grieving because you still have to go through that process. But I think that experience, you know, after Eric passed and going there was your kind of first step in your journey to be Carrie Stevens today, who you are today. Well, Eric left me with, I don't know how he did it. It's what he instilled in me um, because he believed in me so much that after he passed away, every time I was tempted to be weak and to fail and fall down, I would hear his voice telling me that that's not what he wanted for me, that he believed in me, that I could do it. And so there's another way that he kept living with me even after he was gone. I was like, I was still in a relationship with him because I was still hearing his words and I always will. I mean, I, I, I mean, uh, there's so, there's so many times even today that I think I can't remember anything else about him. People ask me like, tell me something about Eric. We don't know. And I'm like, uh, I've only been talking about him for 30 years. I don't know. You know, like I'll put on the spot. I sometimes don't know, but then there'll just be like these random times that, you know, like I, here's a good example. I took my son two days ago. It was his birthday. And I took him and his girlfriend to West Hollywood to go to this place called Cousins Maine Lobster to get lobster rolls in West Hollywood. And we parked. And I, right next to like where we parked in this brick building. And I looked up at the window and I remembered the time that Eric sent me there. I said to my son, I said, see that building? I said, Eric sent me there to have my hair done once. He had a hairdresser there that did my hair great. He sent me there to have my hair done. And it's like these strange things that, yeah, well, just when you think you remembered everything, like it's, there's more, you know, and, and, and it's always, you know, these really great thoughtful things that he did. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. What else can I say? I mean, he was pretty great. He was really great. He couldn't, even he wasn't rich like Gene and Paul. I want to point that out because um, people think that he was just because he was in Kiss. He was not. He was a hired gun. So, um, you know, he was on salary. Um, he, but you know what? He could not look at something and see me look at it and not buy it for me. Like, if he saw, we're walking through, like, the village in Manhattan. We were walking like, through the East Village or something, and I saw a, a purse vendor. And I happened to, like, glance over. He go, you like, you like that, don't you? You like that, don't you? you I'm like, no, well, like, no, I'm going to get it for you. You know, like, he just was amazing. I mean, and it's not like, I'm not saying, of course, my life has evolved. Since. It's not like. I don't, like, it's not like we were at Louis Vuitton and I wanted a $4,000 purse or anything. I mean, this was just, it was just, back before I knew about Louis Vuitton. You know, like, like when life was sweet and simple and love was real and, you know, it's, it means a lot to me. I always will. 
you know, after Eric passed, you also had another man in your life that was important to you and helped you through a lot of things. And that was Hugh Hefner. Um, you know, he yeah. meant a lot to you. His friendship was very special to you. And, you know, he helped. I don't know if, if you know, obviously the dynamic was, was different, but he was also someone that was uplifting to you and supportive of you and, you know, always watching out for you and helping you on your journey too as well. I mean, you know, when you when you go from Eric, I mean, when you think about the iconic iconic name Kiss and you're involved with Eric and then he passes and then you you're you find yourself, you know, with a, a special friendship with Hugh Hefner, you know, another Are you know a weird a weird moment that I always forget to tell people about? Okay, after I'm a new playmate, I get a call from the offices at Playboy offering me a job to pose with Kiss, naked, in Playboy. And I'm like, uh, that would be weird. Like, I can't stand next to Gene and Paul naked. Like, I know them personally. That would be weird. So whoever called me from the office to book me for that job didn't know my... Uh, connection. It was just they were. I don't know if you remember the issue. They did a issue with Gene and Paul on the cover, and some. I do remember that. With, yeah, yeah, their makeup on, and then the interior they were nude, and yeah, they asked me to be a part of that, and of course I said no because I'm like, oh my god, that would be so weird. Like I can't stand around them naked. Like I know them, so. Um, but now, now that things are, or. Oh, now it's okay. I have very few regrets in my life. I regret not doing that. I regret not doing that. I wish I had the ball back then that I do now. I would go there and I would own that set. <laughs> and you know what? I would I would intimidate the fuck out of Paul, and I would have a blast with Gene. That's the way it would be. <laughs> that would that would be yeah. That would be very you know especially you know knowing you know, Paul expressing his feelings about you or, you know, kind of anon- anonymously expressing his feelings of, you know, some playmate, as he mentioned in his book. And then obviously, yeah, you know, a gene. Yeah, it's naughty little derogatory um, comment, which, by the way, was, um, it wasn't really, what it was doing was sensationalism. It wasn't necessarily to bash Carrie Stevens. It was to say the word playmate. Because I was not a playmate in 1991, okay? Right, right. I was a playmate in 1997. But Paul's book, doesn't it help us sell a lot better if Eric is a playmate and not Terry Stevens? So, you know what? He used me, basically. He's a prick. Um, oh, well, you said he said some playmate. Sure, so sure. I just have to reiterate, I was not a playmate. And that's why he said that, because it gives him an excuse to use the word playmate because playmate is a powerful word I, yeah and, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, as a writer i mean he probably didn't write it but you know what i mean like I it you. was just it, it's for sensationalism in the sentence some playmate so i don't even think he meant to uh be as mean to me as it sounded but it it, it translated that way so with hef you know with your relationship when you became a playmate and he was enamored with you and he you know, was kind of, you know, had a kind of like a, like a, a schoolboy crush on you. 
you know, and he was just infatuated with you. And, and, and that was a nice relationship because the Playboy Mansion became, you know, your home away from home, as you talk about. And, you know, you had, you know, an open invitation anytime that you wanted to go there. You you know, your son used to go look at the animals and he'd take them around and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, my son grew up at the Playboy Mansion and my son gets tears in his eyes when he talks about it. You know, what we were doing right before you called me, um, my son came in my room to show me a white Oxford shirt. He wanted business casual things um, this year. And I bought him a white Oxford shirt and he came in uh, with dress pants and a white shirt on. And he said, you know what? I'd like to have a dark green tie. And I go, you know, <laughs> this is funny. I go, um, I go, I have one with Playboy bunnies. There's a rabbit head tie in my closet. Um, and I said, and there's an Eddie Van Halen one right next to it. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I just, I'm like, turn around, go in the closet, the walk-in closet. I'm like, make a left, hanging with the belt. Then he goes, I found the Eddie Van Halen one. I'm like, on the bottom. And he goes, oh, wow. He's like, this is so cool. Because he said he wanted a dark green tie. It's a dark green tie with little tiny dark blue rabbit head logos all over it, like so subtle. And he like puts it on. He's like, I love this so much. And I'm like, so you're stealing my tie? And he's like, um, no. I go, so you're borrowing my tie. And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. You can have it. <laughs> like, what, what am I going to do with this? And hanging in my closet forever. Just, I just didn't want to get rid of it because it's special. But there's, of course, nobody's more special to give it to than my son. Sure, sure. Hey, it must be kind of cool to be my son. Wouldn't you like to like uh, walk in the closet and be like, hey, there's an Eddie Van Halen tie. Here's a rabbit head tie. Mom, mom's kind of cool, huh? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think about your son and, and, you know, hanging out at the Playboy Mansion and, you know, going to these concerts with you. And, and, and that is, he's a, he's a very lucky kid. Very lucky kid. Because that my is My son awesome. is so fucking lucky. Okay. Even, <laughs> even when I don't, okay. Most of the time that he's been, you know, all access, everything is because mom knew somebody in the band, you know, like mom's friends with somebody or somebody's wife or, you know, like once you know people, you know, you kind of know everybody. Um, so generally, you know, I, and I only go, well, when, when he was a kid, when we were invited and taking care of, well, <laughs> I took him to old cella, you know, with, I don't know if you know what that was, the desert trip and yes. the Rolling Stones, the who, yeah. Okay. So, um, I, this is a crazy, I have all kinds of crazy stories. Um, but I had gone, I was coming back from somewhere where I was, but I was at the airport like the day before we went there, not with my son, but just with my, by myself. And I was just getting my luggage and some guy had come up to me and started talking to me. And um, he was somehow connected with old Chella and um, he was going to and just put me on the list for VIP. Like we had shitty seats when I bought them. By the time, you know, we, because I just happened, I guess I was cute that day at the luggage belt, but we got like, well, he actually only left me um, an all access pass and, um, and then when I got there, I said, I can't, you know, come backstage. I've got my son with me. So then of course it was like, Oh, bring your son. So, um, yeah, I, my son, um, has benefited 
I laugh. I'm like, I'm like, you know, you just wait. When you're a teenager, and you're going to be like, how come we have to pay for our concert tickets? What? You mean we don't get to go backstage? I want my mommy. <laughs> well, I just think about, you know, his dynamic too, right? I mean, because you talk about, you know, his father that has no relationship with him. Yeah. But then, but then as a, as I a, well made up for that. right. But, but and that's, what I was going to say, but when you think about how his life and his journey has been because of that, I mean, you know, he's had, you know, a great mom who's been both a mother and a father to him and, and helped raise him. I mean, he's had, well, you know, it kind of sucks because like you recognize what a great mom I was. So did he. Why did that motherfucker that ditched me never even give me the chance or my son a chance? He just dumped me when I was pregnant. We never even had a fight. Like, it was just like one day he was just gone and never looked back. And it's not like it's been easy. I'm making it sound easy. Like, he put my son through so much fucking hell. I mean, my, well, I almost don't have a son because the trauma that he put upon my son for abandoning him emotionally believe me we had to go through a lot of therapy there was a certain point in his teen years that it was really difficult for him to accept and i i had to drop my social life and drop uh, there was a you know a period there was no there was no mansion no parties there's nothing we had to focus on getting my son well because what his dad did abandoning him caught up with him and that does a number on somebody, believe me, emotionally. And I still to this day, I'm angry about it. If you, uh, I, I think about how much my son means to me and that. Uh, but you recognize that. that gave, right. Well, you, the very person that gave him life and abandoned him also had the power to almost want to make him kill himself because he hurt him so much by abandoning him. And there's nothing my son did, but a child feels that way. When, it, when a parent doesn't want them. And for that, yes, I want to kick his fucking teeth through the back of his head and watch him bleed to death. I'm sorry. Well, but I mean it. You, 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 were, you were recognizing that. I mean, you were present both physically and mentally for him. And when he was going through those difficult times, you being able to recognize that. And help well, because him. I'm his mother. I'm well, a parent. right, but there are but, anyway, but there are a lot of mothers. Yes. There are a lot well, of mothers that are not present and won't recognize that stuff. Well, and, I've heard that, and that's yeah. disgusting. I I can't I can't fathom. Um, it's like you told me. I have a very I I have a spiritual connection to people I'm close to. So I and my connection to my son is um, otherworldly. I I I like I, I can't. I can't take things lightly. So abandoning a child is something sure. I can't fathom. I cannot fathom male or female, whatever, who did it. I can't fathom. But because you have, the, you know, because you're able, when you do love someone and you have that connection with your son and his difficulties and his challenges, because you're so, and I don't want to say wrapped up in him like it's a bad thing, but you, you know, with any relationship, it's a good thing, right? I right? Right? Him. Yeah. I, I saved him over and over, right? And um, yeah, and now you know what an amazing person, amazing person my son is. Like I, I am just in awe of him. I, he's my son is going places. Believe me, and um, 
I could not be more proud of the, he's such a happy, well-adjusted, intelligent kid. And he has great taste in music. <laughs> but there, but one of the, one of the, you know, I mentioned about your connection when you have a relationship, but you also have a high sense of awareness not just for yourself, which is a, a very admirable quality. You know, when people are very self-aware, you know, they're able to evaluate their life, where they're at, you know, and, 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 and know when, when something, you know, you, when you have regret. Regret is not a bad thing. You learn from regrets. And you've passed that awareness with your, to your son and being aware of the challenges that he was going through. That's, I mean, there's not, very few people are able to really tap into that. You know, there's some people, we all know those people, right, that you're, you have a friendship with them or you know them casually or whatever, have no self-awareness, have no idea of how their actions affect people. Like, for instance, his father that didn't have, that abandoned him. And you were able to compensate it's with that because sociopath. right, yeah, yeah. But you were able to because of your connection with him and your awareness. That's I mean, and and we talk about how lucky your son is by going to the Playboy Mansion and having all these experience. But to have you as a mother, and to have those emotions and those feelings and those things inside your soul to help him, it's it's a it's a very beautiful relationship that you have with your son. If you know the most beautiful part of it is that my son would agree with every word you say, and I can see that in his eyes when he looks at me. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, I, I we've talked you know prior to this interview, and I'm, I'm a single dad, and being a father is very, very important to me. And I always try to be aware of where he's at. And I know right now with him being in school and e-learning, it's very difficult because my son likes – just be social and he needs that social payoff and it's difficult for him but just to kind of recognize that hey you know what he needs a different kind of dad right now I can't be the same dad I was a couple years ago he needs a different he needs more of an understanding and more of a no, that, a then you're just like me that's yeah. why you see me that's why you understand me because you're just like me yeah. um, I you have empathy and when I saw my son go through different periods over his life when I knew that I even as much as I loved him, I just couldn't be what he needed right then. I took a step back and figured out how to get him what he needed. Um, so it, you have the awareness as well. I've been told that I, I, I overthink things, right? And I, and I think that, you know, whenever I'm in, I have a situation that I always try to see every angle and, and everyone's point man, of view. Okay, this, this, here, here it is. In a woman, if you overthink, you're called neurotic. If you're a man and you actually have empathy, you're called an overthinker. So I don't think it, it I think it's uh, a double standard. And I don't think you should even give that the time of day when people say you're an overthinker. They don't want to hear you think because you're a guy. You're supposed to just like, you know, know everything. But you know what? I respect you a lot. I think that, um, you know what? I, I I just like that. I've never heard anyone say what you just said. Um, a guy admit that people say that he's an overthinker. Because it's good to be an overthinker. It means you have a conscience. Well, I've always been asked, what trait do I want my son to have, you know, as he grows up? And I always say empathy. I want him to be empathetic to people around him and be aware and know that his actions can affect other people. And 
you know, that's important to me. It's always been important to me. I, you know, I, you know, to be able to understand what someone else is going through and to, and to want to help them and to also just be, be good to those people. Right. Cause a lot of times when someone has challenges or someone's going through something, no one's really been good to them. And that's maybe why they are the way they are is because they, they have that persona or, or whatnot where, you know, they've been battered emotionally throughout their life. And there's a reason why people are the way they are. To have the ability to understand that goes a long way and will help him, help anybody in life when you have understanding. Yeah. Empathy is the key word, you know, to be able to feel, to be able to feel what other people are feeling. It's it's very simple. Um, Think about it, what, what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. Right. I mean, because when you talk about the relationship in the book, like with John Elway, you know, here's a guy who's battling a lot of internal things, right? Um, John didn't know the meaning of the word empathy. He admitted to me that he didn't know what it meant. Right. But he he truly, I'm not trying to bash him by saying this. Yeah, I'm just discussing it. Of course, he'd hate me for discussing it, but whatever, he probably hates me anyway. But the, the, the point is, I'm just giving him as an example. He actually wanted to be empathetic. He wanted to be able to be that way. He wanted to do it. He didn't he know just, how. He didn't he know didn't, how. Yes, exactly. It yeah. didn't come naturally to him. He, but he wasn't born, I mean, he wasn't bred to be. He wasn't raised to be that. He was raised to win. He was just raised to fight and win. So I think his heart did want to have empathy, but he just didn't know how. He didn't know how to he, compensate. You know? He didn't know how to balance out you know, the, the willingness or the will to win and compete. Right. With, with, so with, I, I'm yeah. glad you, you got that because yeah. I really didn't, didn't mean to, um, I hope, you know, everyone's going to take my words in my book a different way, but I really didn't mean to fashion. I, I wrote it in observance of um, my take on his upbringing and who he is as a person and, and of course, the relationship between us. And, you know, that was a major theme between us and why we didn't get along is because he just didn't have empathy. And I did break through to him and I did manage to explain to him what it was. And he, he did want to have it. He just couldn't. He couldn't yeah. get there. Well, I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, the issues with alcohol in him and, you know, how, and I, and I think, Alcohol was 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 able for was the gave him the ability to kind of be aware of who he was and what he was struggling with, but he didn't know how to kind of like break through. He didn't know well, how I, to overcome that. I, I don't think he's going to stop drinking. I think he's still, you know, from what I hear, he's still a heavy drinker. But I think his demons came out when I was with him when he was drinking because he hadn't dealt with them yet. Um, I honestly don't know um, whether he has now or not. It's been a very long time since, you know, I was in a relationship with him and I certainly hope he's, I know he was starting to deal with them when we broke up. I don't know what happened since. I wish him all the best. Another special friendship you have with Howard Stern, who is, has a lot of empathy and, you know, for, for people, yeah, and even though he yeah, comes he off, he had a big heart, right? Even he though had, he comes he, off as he, a shock yeah. jock and in this, you know, this, this guy, there's a heart in Howard and there's a, 
there's a guy that really does care about people and tries to really have understanding. Because because I think he's tried to figure himself out too. He talks about therapy and he talks about a lot I of things. I adore he's that yeah. man. I know it sounds crazy, but I just adore that man. I have like such a fond, um, I fond, I, I just like a huge fondness when I think about him. Um, and I didn't know him, you know, that long or that well. Well, we kept in touch for like you know a long time, but uh, I only had the experience I wrote about in the book. But he became um, a friend, and you know, it ended up slowly like Christmas cards and an email here and there. You know, like eventually he got married, and you know, I had my son, and life went on, and we didn't stay in touch, but. Um, you know, now I don't feel like it would be appropriate. A lot of people are like, oh, you need to be on the Howard show. I'm like, um, I highly doubt he'll be asking me to be on. And, uh, you know, um, I don't, <laughs> I wouldn't reach out. You know, I don't think it'd be appropriate, but, um, yeah, I really, I really like him, you know, like his energy. Like when you said, when you, I can know somebody spiritually, I know this sounds insane, but I had a very strong spiritual connection <laughs> with Howard Stern. Yeah, when I met him um, at first, I said, I don't like you. I'm never going on your show. You're a pig, da 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 da. And it took about 30 seconds for him to convince me otherwise. He just looked in my eyes and said, You don't have to. And I am not, you know, that guy. And I don't you know, agree with having seven girlfriends. And I was, I don't know, just the way he said it, he was so intense and soft-spoken. And I don't know, there was, I, I think it was beyond words. I think I just felt something run through my veins. It was just like, I can trust this man. I felt really good about him. Yeah. And yeah, he, he's a good guy. When you talk about H- Howard and you talk about Hef, the connection... I think between the two of them is how they appreciated your honesty. You know, they, you weren't some playmate or actress or model that was just smiling and would say, and nod their head and say, you really were honest with them. And, and, and I think they appreciate that because they are surrounded by, I mean, right, right after I met Howard, I got a call from the playboy offices, um, and to do a show through, taken three playmates to the Howard Stern show in New York and they didn't know that I knew Howard. So I called Howard and I said, Hey, Playboy called and, you know, asked me to do your show. And it looked up and he's like, Oh, you don't want to do that. Cause we're going to, you we're not going to make you look good. And you know, like he was honest with me. He told me what it was. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're right. I don't, cause he, okay. He knew me. I'm on, the classier side, I don't want to do a show like that. He also knows there's lots of girls who will do anything to get on his show. And and they should have girls like that on that episode. Nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just he knew that that wasn't the type of person that I, I am. Um, and that's how we met because we were he was doing a live broadcast at the Playboy Mansion and he tried to pick on me in the audience. And I gave it right back to him and let him know I wasn't one of those girls that wants to be um, picked on. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, 
he's respectful, let's put it that way. And he, and he has the sensitivity chip that we're talking about. Um, he gets it. Because I think about, you know, especially with Eric and Hef and Howard, you know, the empathy all three of them had, you know, for, for you and just for life in general and for people around them. Um, it was very special. You know, when yes, especially yeah, when you when you think about Howard and Hef, and you think about the shows they do or the magazine that they created or have created, you know, it's it's very easy to call them misogynistic and all these things, right? And there may be some truth to that. Sure, you know, you can make you can make a rational point on that. However, they were very respectful to women when they were having friendships with them or relationships with them right they were they were not like what you would think would they would be they would not be like this you know egotistical and you know i can get any woman i want or whatever it was it just it was very it's a persona that they they may not give off what people perceive but when you kind of pull back the the curtain and who they really are they they are they are really respectful and empathetic and, you know, good people. Well, I, they're unforgettable to me. So there's a reason for that. There's a reason, um, back to my book for a second, uh, not to make myself sound like too much of a, uh, hoe, but there's, Many other a character I've come across, <laughs> to put it that way, that I could have um, written about, and I didn't want to go in that direction. I didn't want to write a trashy tell-all. I wanted to write something um, that would be um, true to my legacy. That you know, something I could be the truth to my to who I am. That I could be in 344 pages. So I couldn't include everything, and I wanted to include the most meaningful people in my life, whether, you know, the most impactful. Not necessarily, oh, I was most in love with this person, but, you know, the most impactful, the people that have the most impact on me. And even though, yeah, yeah, Howard Stern was not my boyfriend or anything, you know what, he said he had a huge impact on me. Um, you know, he, he did, he, and, and I truly appreciate his kindness is um i keep talking as if everyone's read my book for those who didn't read my book you know i met him you know at my worst point when i was dumped five months pregnant and alone and well oh, no sorry i didn't meet him then i met him right before i got pregnant and <laughs> but he kept we kept in touch and then while i was pregnant you know he was the person who talked to me and lifted me up and like was sort of like my friend and my therapist, like somebody, you know, who I don't know how I would have gotten through it without him. You know, like I know it sounds crazy and that's why it means so much to me that it was just like, I know that theme of my life now is kind of crazy when you think about it. I'm like scratching my own head going, how come Howard Stern got you through your pregnancy? <laughs> well, I know it sounds crazy, but that's the truth. And it, it, it was just like this night at the mansion and two people that just were attracted to each other and had this thing and went our own ways, but kind of kept in touch. And then, you know, he got serious with Seth and I got to Steve and then I got you know, I'm pregnant and 
And, you know, and he lived in New York and I was in L.A., so we didn't see each other again, but we kept talking. And he talked to me through it. He got me through my pregnancy. And and um, I don't know if he knows how much that meant to me. I'm sure I never thanked him. I'm sure I never did. And I doubt he knows about my book, or maybe he does. I don't know. But, um, you know, I... 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 <laughs> Just really appreciate him. What more can I say? Well, when Eric passed, you went and saw. Maybe I'm maybe I'm messing up the title here, but there was like a spiritual healer that you went and saw, right? Someone to oh, the rebirther. Yes, the rebirther. Yes, correct. Yeah, rebirther is basically um, it's like guided meditation. It's connected breathing. It's basically meditation, but you go <sighs> the whole time. So for people that don't know what it is, but it's a very rebirth, spiritual thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a very spiritual mm-hmm. concept, and it's a very spiritual. You know, it helps you with experience. Yeah, it's very spiritual experience, and I think you know you needed some you know guidance or some help from. Oh, it was you, transformational. It yeah, that's was, what I'm saying. It was yeah, transformational. Yeah, yeah. I try. Listen, I went to therapists. I, I did everything, um, and it wasn't until this. That that they said I had this transformation, and often I've gone back. By the way, over the years, trying to find a rebirth or practitioner, trying to like heal myself from other things with that, and it was never quite the same. It didn't work for me the same way. So spiritual healing is tricky. Um, I, you know, I wish I had a, I wish I had the answer to everything. I would tell everyone to go do rebirthing. It's it's not a one um, one answer kind of thing, you know. Like it's a, what fits, you know. You have to just do, do a lot and see what fits. I that used makes to, sense. yeah. I used to do Thai body work, and it's called lazy man yoga. And basically, it's yeah. Brain, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a thing called a Thai high, where you're doing these breathing exercises as you know, the therapist is giving you a massage and you're breathing, you're breathing, you get controlled breathing. And at sometimes when you're, when you're in your session, you're able to, because of the breathing, you're able to kind of leave and go somewhere else. Your mind kind of. This is is how simple it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's called relaxing. Yes. And people make such a big deal of this. It's really just put your fucking smartphone down. Just, just forget about everything for a minute and focus on you. Right. Just take take a little time. And it sounds, I have a hard time with it. And that's why I know it. That's why I can preach it. It's so hard for me to, because I know how to do it, but it's so hard for me to do it. And yesterday I actually did it. I actually took 23 minutes and did DDP yoga, which Chris, Chris Jericho has been telling me about for a year. Someone just sent me that too. Someone just sent me that over the holidays, DDP yoga. Um, That's interesting. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, Well, Chris is good at promoting it. But anyway, um, I finally did it. And literally I got through 23 minutes because I could barely stand up yesterday. And after I did it, I was literally sitting on my couch going, I can like, feel the blood going through the veins in my legs, like pulse, 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 moving, moving, moving. But I could feel my 
discs in my back being oxygenated. I could feel the blood moving over. And I was like, whoa, like this is kind of like a high. And then I went, it's not a high. It's that simple. You got up, you moved your body, you took, you did what, what the teacher, did, the good DDP guy said. And basically it wasn't difficult because I was watching his video and he said, tighten your toes. I tightened my toes. Tighten your inner thighs. Tighten your inner thighs. Make a fist. You know what? And this is so true. And actually I wouldn't have, now I'm the DDP person after doing it for one day. Um, I'm rivaling Chris Jericho. Actually, I really think this, there's something to this that everyone can do it because I felt so shitty. But all I did was like tighten my toes and tighten my thighs and move my arms up a couple of times. And next thing you know, I'm in a plank and I had to do push ups. I, I can't even do one. I'm so weak right now. Like I tried. But, um, you know, like but just that trying got my blood flowing and I felt. So much better and I swear almost like a zen weird thing afterwards where I felt like a strange sensation of being able to feel my own blood going through me it's not really a spiritual awakening it's like you know what take some time for you take your space say no for a minute to everyone that's emailing you and texting you and on your social media just say no and this is my time it can be 20 minutes, it can be an hour, it can be whatever you want it to be. You can start with five minutes, whatever. Like, just you need to take some time to get to know you and to connect with your own self. That's where it all starts. You're not going to um, heal. with by. I see other people. I saw somebody last night going, oh, I have insomnia. Like, can you guys recommend some podcasts or, you know, some other uh, influencers or feeds? And I'm like, oh, my God, they're so off. What you need to do is stop looking outside yourself. You need to just stop asking anybody else. You need to stop asking other people how to do it and connect to your inner power, your spirit guide, whatever you want to call it. But it's there's the blood flowing through your veins. You know, you need to just take some time alone with yourself. And the last thing you need to do is, is um, connect to the that uh what do you call electronic infrastructure well that that's not when you're trying to sleep okay only when you know you want to be entertained and awake and and um turn your brain on not not when i mean life is about a perfect balance you know like it you have to find a balance with everything we're not meant to be one way or the other we have to have our there is there is something to be said about relaxation, right? I mean, there is, you know, everything every, to be said about it. Yeah, I mean, the, stress is what causes disease right. and inflammation. Inflammation and stress causes inflammation. And, and, yeah, there's nothing good that comes out of stress. So, the, what is the opposite of stress? Relaxation. When Eric was in the hospital, I had him reading a book called The Relaxation Response. Um, I knew it back then, and I was so young. I was only 22, and I knew it. And that's why I just said, it's very easy not to do it. And I know how to do it, but you you have that. Oh, I, okay, not you. I'm talking about myself. I have this drive. I'm a very driven person, and I put pressure on myself. Uh, I don't sit around and watch TV. I don't whine. I, I'm a doer. Um, I'm hard on myself. and 
I, it's that own voice in my head that I have to disconnect and say, it's okay not to be doing something right now. Like, it's okay not to be doing something. You have to take this time for you and relax. And, and I, the reason I'm helping it so much is because I think that my misunderstanding with yogi people and all these spiritual, I was so appalled by them for the longest time, by the way. I did, I, I just had this ugh, about those, that. and you know what it is? It's because they're so extreme about it. You know, like there's, they felt preachy to me, you know, like the yogis, you know, let me tell people, I felt like it was preachy, but when I, um, understood that it, it was my own, it was just, it could be, there's no rules about it and it, about relaxing. There's no rules. You don't have to go to school to learn how to do it. You know, like you just have to do it. You just have to like be willing to love yourself. Just be willing to give yourself, come on. 24 minutes in a 24-hour day. That's all I did yesterday, basically, and I felt a million times better. But when you talk about that in the book, and you talk about that, you know, that spiritual experience, I, I really think that as you have continued your journey after Eric, that has helped you maintain clarity, even under the most stressful situations, whether it was Jackson's father abandoning him and leaving you while you're pregnant, the, the situation with John Elway, all the relationships that you had, I think when by you having that in your life, it has helped you get, you know, centered. And even though sometimes it doesn't feel like you're centered, it feels like, you know, you're, you're, you know, the, the balance is off. You're still able to know what can bring you back to center. And I think with all the things that have happened in your journey, in your adventure, having that tool in your own personal arsenal, as you, as people may call it, has helped you get through very difficult times. And it's well, helped it you. must have, because yeah. even though I don't feel like I've done it enough, I feel like now that my son's grown and starting to come back around to it, now that I have more time to think about myself, um, as opposed to when you're, you're the parent of a child, you know, who's, you know, still in, in school, like, I was giving a hundred percent to him and not much to me. And it's in, if anything, and it's amazing that I didn't crash and burn when I look back. I don't know how I didn't. Um, I, I, I'm remembering again, how to take care of me when all I've been doing is taking care of him for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow, and I don't know, it must be Eric being my angel. I mean, somehow, I don't know how I did it. Honestly, after he died, I somehow knew, like, not to drink too much, like, not to do drugs. Like, I, I somehow just knew. And, and I think it, because I look at my own life so many times and go, how did I not? fall down that rabbit hole like how did I not because it could have been very casualty? easy for you it could have been very easy oh, for yeah. you to go down. Yeah. Well, uh, everything I went through it, uh, it's classic you would expect that to have happened to me and it never did like I, I of course you know I'm not saying I was um, of course I partied and stuff like I, I'm not I wasn't like an angel but I never had a um I never got the best of me. Like I, I always knew 
when to quit. And it, when I, after Eric died, honestly, I didn't, I don't even know if I drank. I might not have. Like, I just, I remember like kicking into survival mode and just knowing that that wasn't the time and that that would make everything worse. That if I, if I did, you know, that, but yeah, that was just drinking. I know because I never did drugs back then. But it was, it was just me just knowing that like, you know what, this, uh, this was, and I don't know how I knew, but I had this little voice just told me, don't drink, like, don't sink into that path. Like it, it I knew uh, that it would eat me alive. I, I had a survival mechanism. I just innately knew. And I don't know where that came from. Uh, it must have been, I don't know. I, that's it's spiritual. It's definitely nothing I was raised with. I don't want to get into that, but trust me when I say it. Um, and, and, I don't. I, I don't know what to credit that to. It, it's amazing. Do you, and do you mm-hmm. th- do you think it was because you saw Eric on this big stage and mm-hmm. him him able to have excess at his fingertips, and he never went down that path either. And he was- no, no, I don't because I was so young that I and naive. I didn't even realize the excess that was going on in, in the eighties. I, I didn't even know that that heroin heroin was around until way after, like until Nikki Six just came out with his book. Seriously, like I knew about cocaine, like I, you know, but seriously, like I wasn't really. Um, I I hadn't seen casualties like when I was with Eric. I, it was still a very very innocent time for me, coming straight from you know being college girl to being on the road with kids and I, I, you know, I, yeah, I party on the Sunset Strip, but I, I just saw people like out and about drinking. Like I wasn't, I wasn't um, privy to the drug scene. So I just didn't, I just didn't, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a blessing that I, I wasn't, but I wouldn't credit it to, oh, I saw Eric resisting it because I never saw Eric being tempted by it, you know? It was just never around us. And and he did tell me, I remember at one point in our relationship, um, he knew that some of my friends were doing cocaine and he told me if I ever did it that he would dump me. He was adamantly against drugs. And um, I'm not sure if that helped or not. Um, and while I was with him, I listened to him. And after he was gone... I think I was, I wasn't really around it. I wasn't around it because I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't go out anymore. Like I didn't go out in the rock scene. I avoided the rock scene because it hurt too bad. So after Eric died in late, it was November, end of November 91. We all know that shortly after that, the whole hair metal, metal scene died with him. He took it with him. And that's when the grunge scene came along and there was no reason to go fucking go out because he wants to like meet those guys in plaid shirts with you know like B.O. you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know it, it, it really it really is an interesting story because you know obviously myself and many others who listen to this podcast associate you with Eric and 
I, of course, you know, my first album I ever bought was Kiss Lick It Up with Eric on the cover. Um, I have that gold album on my wall. That's that's fantastic. Um, that's that that album means so much to me. But it, it it really did. I remember that was like the first thing I bought with my own money, and I just remember wait, this isn't the Catman, but he's a really he's he's like a, he's so much better at, at, at drumming than. Do you know what's Chris. interesting, though? We know it's interesting hearing you say this, is that even though I have a gold album of Look It Up, what did I talk about in my book? I didn't even mention that. Look, what what means everything to me is that old mug with the rainbow with on the rainbow, it. the rainbow, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, yeah. Okay. Well, sorry. I no, no. I mean, that's there. just, you know, again, I mean, that something like that, I mean, you know the the Kiss Look It Up Gold album, and that's a great collector piece. But you know the 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 flowers that came in, you know, with the with the coffee mug and the rainbow, you know, means more because there was thought behind it, right? There was there was right. someone thinking about you to make you I happy. Needed to get me through my days, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, it and and of course, like I was saying, you know, people will associate you with Eric, but there really is so much more to um, to your story, to your journey, and it's interesting. From oh, your- and I, I, and you, it's been a real challenge to live in his shadow and have to be associated with Eric. And I have to pat myself on the back because I think I'm doing a pretty fucking damn good job. You are, job. you are, you really are. I mean, thank you. You know, it. it but I, I, what I, I want to say though is, is that there's so much more to Carrie Stevens than being Eric Carr's girlfriend. And if you read this book, which is, which you can read very quickly, it's a very, it's, it's written in a conversational form. Like I feel like you're telling me this as I, you know, sit at a restaurant right. or at a bar with you. It telling meant me. a lot to me that it sounds like my voice. I, I wanted you to sound like, yeah, you know, yeah. I wanted it to sound like a conversation like we're having right now. Yeah, and and when you when you uncover when you peel back the orange, and you start to discover your life, you know, from discovering your independence, discovering your inner strength, because that's really another thing that's helped you too. Is like you know going through what you went through with Eric, and then finding that inner peace and also inner strength that you know you've been knocked down several times and you keep getting back up you're like the you're like the the the, the rocky playmate right you're wonder like, woman oh my god <laughs> dude, that's what they called me in high school rocky yeah i know because you used to <laughs> yeah. but you, and you even, it even starts at a, at a at an early age for you you talk about the dynamic with your mother and the relationship i am pretty tough though i am pretty tough and and yeah. that's another thing about relationships like people um to get back to john elway for a minute i i remember I think he had a little fantasy about me that was a fantasy, like a playmate fantasy. But when he got to know me, he was like, you're tough. You are tough. You're not the early, the easiest person to be in love with. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a doormat. Like, I'm not just somebody that, um, I, I don't know. You And that was harder, I guess, after I became a playmate and was known. And people expected me to be a certain way because of the way my image was or the way I looked. Uh, I've I've always been that same the same person. I didn't become tough. That's my Irish upbringing. Like I I'm I'm a fiery redhead. It's like that's that's always been um, part of me. Um, it's 
I don't know why people think as soon as you um, pose for a magazine or they have an expectation of you uh, from your fame, you're supposed to be that person. They expect you to be because I've really always been the same person. Um, it's just, I guess, like art, it's up to interpretation. There's also one other trait that you have, too, um, is the ability to observe. When you talk about the deadbolts in the bathroom in John Elway's house, I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's pretty powerful. You know, I mean, you know. Um, that's not the ability. It's not the ability. That, that You couldn't miss it. I mean, I would like to forget that. Right, it, right, but but there's a lot disturbing. of people that there's a lot of people that would miss it though, right? I mean, I mean, walking in there and you seeing that, and then start to start to connect the dots, and of course, you know, when you are in love, you 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 justify things, and you and you kind of maybe file it away and say, oh, you know, maybe it was something else, or you kind of forget about it, but you notice that, and then when things started to happen in your relationship with him, and and he started to show more of himself, you know that made more sense and the self-help books made more sense and all that stuff that went on with that. That was, that was a pretty powerful moment in the book. Right. And then that was extremely telling, um, and foreshadowing. And I, I, I did see, I did see the writing on the wall when I, I, I did, I knew that that was a huge red flag. I just didn't know what to do about it. Um, and then the rest of them kept unfolding. I kept a lot of them out of the book. There was not because I'm, you know, was, it's just because it was getting along. You know, there, there was you know, several more um, examples of that relationship, you know, fights and things in the book. And But, you know, I felt like the point was made. Um, it didn't need to be longer and it wouldn't have really, it might have been entertaining, but it wouldn't have... Um, driven the point anymore I think I think and it was enough said um and I didn't write it to take him down or to hurt him um if I had you would have read a lot more um I'm sure he's aware of the book and I'm sure he's not mad at me because he's very well aware that it could have been a lot worse um I'm sure he was mad for two seconds because he didn't see it coming uh, he underestimated me, but at the same time, he knows that, wow, it was so much fucking worse. Like, that that was a really, really torturesome relationship. Um, I'm not quite sure um, what the lesson was there. I think I, I had hope. I think I wanted like anybody would. I wanted a family. I wanted the fairy tale. I wanted my son to have a father. And I wanted, I wanted not to, I didn't want to be. I was just, I was, I had a one and a half year old and I was dumped. I was alone. Yeah. And this night, he was like this night in trying armor, but they're going to make, history go away it was going to make it all better because he's the one I was supposed to be with and it seemed like a good idea for a, a long time it was almost perfect for about a year and then boom the demons came out but that's that's another thing you know love brings out your feelings and falling in love is scary because when you fall in love it brings your stuff out and then you have to deal with your stuff and you've got to 
hope the other person can deal with your stuff. And sometimes it's just, you know what? I think John and I did love each other. There was way too much stuff. His stuff was way too much for either of us to deal with. He had a lot, and he admitted it in the end. I talked about it in my book. He said, I wish, wish I met you later after I had dealt with all this stuff. He realized that he was dumping all of his stuff on me and that, you know, he needed to work on himself. And unfortunately, you know what? It, it just went over between us and so much damage was done. Relationships are so difficult. And then, and he did try to get back with me and I heard he was seeing someone else. I ignored him, blah, 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 blah. Next thing I know, he's marrying her. I mean, like, shit just fucking happens so fast, you know, and it's like feelings run so deep and, um, you know, like, but eventually, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I, I'm hoping and praying that he works that all out and that now he's in as happy as he can be in a, in a relationship. Um, I do, I know it might not sound sincere but I really do mean it sincerely that I, I do hope that he works through all that um, and that he's in a happy place and whoever you know you, you know I don't want to talk about him too much but no, I, I get it. the point get it. Is, yeah. is, that, is that I'm over it in a peaceful way even though I talked about it in my book I didn't talk about it you know because I'm trying to you know bring him down, which is impossible. Come on, he's John Elway. Might as well be God. But my fans are not football fans either. Like, I don't even know if any football fans have bought my book. Oh, I, I, I see you. But if I, if so, it's coincidence that I happen to be a rock fan and then stumble upon him. You know, it's not like I'm pitching it to the NFL. Well, I think it's important to realize that even our greatest heroes in sports and music have flaws. And, you know, they're not, you know, they're not, they, they can't escape that. Everybody has issues and problems. And it makes, I actually thought, I actually thought your book made John Elway more human to me. You know, I mean, I, I, yeah, I thought, you know, because I know John Elway from playing with the Broncos and winning Super Bowls and, you know, these athletes live in, live on the stage too, like rock stars do. But when I'm reading about John Elway and I'm reading about, you know, issues that, impact him and how he was you know and you talk about the lesson that you know what was the lesson in that relationship you know we talk about how love is so powerful but love also makes you compromise right love love sometimes makes you compromise what you want what you think you're getting when you're not really getting it makes you it makes you compromise your principles well john um was extremely human um, I know that he was perceived as some sort of uh, God, which confused me because I'd never heard of him. And I, I'm still stunned by the amount of um, fame that he had because uh, I could give a fuck about football. But, you know, he, he actually, he was so good at being John Elway. Like when we went to, um, he had to do a lot of personal appearances and you know, speeches for not just the NFL, but pharmaceutical companies and the USO. And, you know, we had to travel a lot to 
all different things that he was doing, like furniture line. I mean, he had so much business going on. And he was so able to compose himself, stand up, give an um, impromptu speech, you know, didn't write it first, just get up and do it with eloquently, with no stage fright, a charm. So, I mean, he really, and that is something I know as a performer that's so coveted, you know, by, he doesn't even know that he has that talent, by the way. And I never told him because I'm just realizing it now as I speak. But it is that, that he's extremely gifted. And that, that alone, it does not go with, you know, being a football player, but he's an extremely eloquent man who's quick-witted and intelligent and able to deliver confidently in front of a crowd. He, I mean, I can see people, when I was dating him um, at the tail end of it, uh, don't ask me to remember who, because I don't, but some Colorado musician, a uh, musician, you were my head that, uh, politicians were trying to convince him to go into politics, to run for office. And, um, I vaguely remember, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and between you and I, oh, oh, here I am talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, between you and I and um, whoever else wants to listen, um, he said no because he didn't want them to dig into his personal life and his past. Um, and that would not have been good. And I, you know what? Never mind what they were going to find. He has so much money. Why would you give up your privacy uh, for power? And I respect that decision because only a fucking lunatic just wants power. Like, if you're a sane person, you want your money and your privacy. If you, I'm not going to make any references, but I think everyone knows what we're talking about. If you have a lot of money, why do you need all that power? Anyway, he would have been a fucking puppet. Um, Again, I'm not going to mention any names, but I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. These politicians that were approaching him to run for office is because they would have been able to make the decisions. He would have been their puppet. Sound familiar? Yes. Okay. I hope everybody's getting it. (laughs) So, yes, exactly. It wasn't really a compliment when you're an intelligent person. You're able to see that these people are trying to use you for gain and you don't need them because you are the successful one and you already have your money, your family, your, you do have a certain amount of fame. You don't need that power. You will become a puppet if you take it. And that is ego driven. So I have to commend him for that. Um, he did not fall into that. And even though I know it's because he didn't want people looking into his past, guess what? He's not the only one with a past. Everybody has one. Everyone has one and everybody has people that are willing to try to shut those people up that are part of their past. It's a very interesting story, Carrie. It's a, it's a great journey. It's a great adventure. I'm, I'm looking forward to your next book. I'm looking forward to you continuing oh, your journey. There is not going to be a next book. <laughs> there, there, I think I there will no, be. I think there will be. No, there's not. There's not going to be a next book because I just wrote my life story. Now, I keep remembering things that I forgot to include. Not necessarily forgot. It's like, like I said, it's so tricky I challenge everyone out there, just try to do it yourself, okay? It's really challenging to write 
your life story and make it flow like poetry like make it friendly to the reader make it sound like something you want to keep reading if it, otherwise it's like me in a conversation with you where I'm fumbling over my words and I'm changing subjects that's a natural way to do things so it's to try to really try to tame your thoughts and make it your life makes sense and to put it in a little nutshell is not easy and now I can't go back to previous chapters because I already wrote that book so I would have to start off um, at 50 which uh, welcome uh, I already wrote it no I already wrote uh, my last chapter of my book was about turning 50 my travels all over Italy and Ireland and the Dominican Republic and my free spirited year and then where does my book end? Okay, I'm going to be the spoiler here. My book ends in April of 2020, in the beginning of the pandemic, which we thought was, well, we didn't know it was the beginning. We were hoping it was yeah. a couple of weeks back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was just the beginning, and that's where my book ends. And so um, all I have now are my memories. So what am I going to fucking write about? That's why I'm so glad that I wrote about well, when I did write it, because um, it wasn't under the duress of thinking I'll never be able to do it again. It wasn't under, like, right now, if you ask me to do it, I might go, oh, I have to, like, find the most exciting things in my life. I don't know if I could do it now, because I, when I wrote it, I was not under duress, and I was very introspective. So um, I don't know if I could find, and of course, I didn't write it in a day. It took me two and a half years. So and it it's, it, it, Believe me, this is what if I, I, I'm. This is what I do for a living as an actress all the time. I make things that are very difficult look easy, um, and I, it's no different with a book. You pick it up, and it looks it looks easy. It looks like someone just wrote a book. Um, it really wasn't. It was probably the hardest thing. Not probably besides childbirth. It was the hardest thing I've ever. I'm kind of being funny there with the childbirth. Point. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, I think, again, I've said this in, in this interview, in this conversation, it's a remarkable journey. It really is. And it's, it's very, it was, it was interesting, you know, once, you know, e, you know, before the Eric chapters and, and the Eric chapters were very interesting, but just how your own self responded to, personal tragedy and you know losing who will forever be the love of your life and, i look back and go i don't i don't know how i did it like yeah. i i i remember things Jay. like i remember being on the flight to new york to his funeral and i remember covering my Back then, they gave me blankets for every flight, and I remember just covering my head with a blanket and sobbing all the way there. I know I've got these memories like that when I go, how the fuck did I get through it? And I try to remember and trace it. I'm like, well, I had a flight. I'm in the blanket and sobbing and staying with Carrie and Lenora at our house and I, I know I there's just 
and then there's things missing, like getting to the airport. And I'm, there's a lot of a lot of things missing, and there's so many chunks that are just etched in my mind forever. You know, my mail, everything was in his name. My apartment was in his name. My my electric, my gas, all my bills, everything was in his name. I didn't have any credit. He put all of everything came to his name. And do you know how hard it was after he died to get Eric Carr's mail in my box? So, like, every, it was so, I don't know, you know, just it haunts me. I feel so awful for other people that are going through the same thing. You know that we lose somebody. It happens to you know whether it's your parent. Or, you know it's oh, it's just you know like you're you're just about to go on with your day and be able to forget about it for a minute. And next thing you know, like you open your mailbox and your name's your mail. Or if you're if you're me. For 30 fucking years, you got to answer your emails and your social media. <laughs> I never even goes away. But, um, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I lost my gra- I lost my grandfather 16 years ago, and I was very close with him. And, you know, he is the, he is the man I've always aspired to be. You know, he was he was a man that wasn't afraid to say, I love you you know, to, to whomever he was affectionate. He was a caring man. And, you know, he was, you know, he was an Italian, you know, who played piano in the speakeasies for the mobsters back in the day. And here was this man that was small in stature. You know, I think he was like about five, six, five, seven, and I'm six, two. And, you know, the relationship that, um, that we had a very special relationship. And, you know, there's these moments that I had with him as I got older, that will always kind of remain confidential to me, right? You know, those are my moments. And, you know, they're, they're you know, the, the, sometimes it, I may go a couple days where I don't think about them, but um, pretty much a lot during every week, you know, I, I, I think about it. Every time I hear a piano playing, I always think about um, my grandfather. And, you know, when you have that relationship and, the, and a person really impacts your life, um, you know, that, that, that stays with you forever. It really does. And, you know, when we talk about grief and we talk about mourning, I've always believed that mourning and grief is like fingerprints. Everybody has their own process and everybody deals with it in their own way. And, you know, some people bottle it up inside and, you know, don't show any emotion or only show emotion, you know, when they're alone. Or, you know, some people, you know, grieve very heavily and, and, and there's no wrong way. Um, but it's interesting just how your grief was able, able to catapult your journey into a celebration because you had all these experiences and you did all these things by taking chances. And, you know, I think that that's... Well, I have to say, you know, I... I I don't know if I deserve any credit, like, oh, I took chances. You know, I, I didn't do them. Um, I mean, I still, I was, my closest people, most meaningful people to me are my grandparents, but, you know, all four of them are gone now, but they were still alive. Um, when Eric passed away, all of them, he met all of my grandparents. And, uh, God, I, 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 
feel terrible saying this, but I don't think they understood. Even though they met Eric, I, I don't think even they knew how to support me through the loss. Um, I found it's actually in my book. I published it, the clipping that my grandmother in Albany sent me from um, the newspaper after Eric died. And I saved it and I, I scanned it and used it in my book. I'm glad for that reason she sent it to me. But at the time I was like, wow, like that was my boyfriend. I get a, just a, he's reduced to a clipping in a newspaper. You know, like it felt so impersonal and cold. Like look what we found in the newspaper. You know, it, it felt, I was so, oh gosh, I guess like, I don't know when I even talk about it, I just retreat into this little bubble of isolation where I feel like, oh my God, nobody understands. Like how come the closest people to me don't understand? Like they still, they put him, they, they make him the celebrity where he was my boyfriend. Like he wasn't Eric Carr drummer for kids. He, he, he was my boyfriend, you know, like he, he was real. And how come my family met him and you're talking about him? Like I like Justin Bieber died, you know, that's what it felt like. It felt like, like as if today, they sent me a clipping that Justin Bieber died. Well, I don't know Justin Bieber personally. He's just some celebrity. You know, like that's what it, it felt like. Um, yeah, I, I really felt so alone. And, and you know, I, I almost, this is a strange thing, is that when I did that Kiss Expo in 2018, mm-hmm. that is the thing. that I was most scared of doing. I was afraid of these kids in. And it was actually the only time in all these years that I found any peace with it because I felt like they understood that Eric wasn't just the drummer for kids. Like, they loved this person. They loved him somehow. Even though they didn't know him like I knew him, like, they so got it which totally made up for my weird family. As much as I love my grandparents and stuff, I can't understand why they understood. Well, I don't know. Like, why would they send me like a clipping in a newspaper and not understand my pain? And I was in so much pain. And you know, from reading my book, like it was like, Oh my God, I, I don't even, I look back and go, how the fuck did I survive? I remember getting home from my job as a cocktail waitress, putting my key in the door, and as soon as the door opened, I would literally collapse to my knees and fucking sob, kick the door closed, and just sob. And I would wake up there in a fucking ball in front of my door and somehow get up and do it again and again and again. And somehow I got by. And I just fucking looked back and go, how, how did I do it? And I, I, I am astonished, astonished. He must have been my angel. I don't know. Like, even though I try to write about it and I try to figure it out, I'm still 
astonished that I could have got through it, knowing how much I, I paid energy and how little uh, I, I didn't have anybody that understood. Like, I didn't, I, like, even though, yeah, like I told you, my family met him, and like, it, the reactions were all very strange from all everyone, everyone. <laughs> Well, you know, as as much as I enjoyed the book, I, I enjoyed this conversation. I know we originally planned this conversation last oh, month. Oh yeah, and, we weren't going to talk about Eric. <laughs> well, well, we I mean we did, but it was you know it, it was it was also about how you know it wasn't just glued to Eric. It was how Eric affected the rest of your journey, you know, and after he passed. And I know we we talked about him, and I it's know, okay though. Yeah. You, you know, I just didn't want to answer the same questions. That well, I hopefully, I, hopefully, I, mean, I didn't ask the no, same. No, no, not at all, not at all. You let me speak, and it was very different. Um, so I don't mind at all. And it took a life of its own, um, right. much like my book did. I didn't mean for it to be about Eric either. It takes a life of its own, and that's why I say, uh, okay. I can't argue you're my soulmate. You're getting, you're, <laughs> he's getting his time. Yeah. Well, you, you know, like I said, I, I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed this conversation. Um, for those listening and, you know, want to in, in lose themselves in someone else's story, a great story, you know, please read Carrie Stevens, Unrated, Revelations of a Rock and Roll Centerfold. I guarantee you it, it will, it will, Put a smile on your face. It'll it'll make you feel emotional. A lot of a wave of emotions that if you've felt the things that Carrie has felt, you will feel them too. And um, you know, I didn't know what I was going to be reading when I first got it, and I knew I wanted to interview you. What did you think? I'm curious about that. Did you think it was going to be a trashy tell-all? Did you think it was? I didn't. You know what? I I didn't have any expectation. I knew my motivation for reading the book was two things. One, I knew of you because of Eric, and I knew you you were in Playboy. And then I also, you know, knew I wanted to interview you, and I didn't want to interview you with on a book that you had that I didn't read, right? Because that's unfair to you, and it's just you know, I don't like to do that. Yeah, thank you. I've actually said no to most interviews when they I say or I have my representative say, did you read the book? Because I don't feel like it, it, it doesn't do uh, me justice because they don't understand. You can't, um, I mean, what, what is the point of me doing the book? I said no to interviews for many years because I knew my book was coming out. So why am I going to say yes now when you didn't read the book? Yeah. So, and, and, and really yeah. for someone that's interviewing you that doesn't read it is really doing themselves you know, and a uh, 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 lack of you know, and not doing themselves a favor because this book is compelling. It's a great story. It's really interesting. You know, when you when you have a person who, like yourself, has modeled for Playboy, right? And you look at you know the 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 pictures, and you don't, you don't see flaws. You know, when you when you when you when, it, when you're a man and you or a woman that that gets a Playboy magazine and looks at the models in there, but when you read your book and you see how you overcame struggle and you overcame the flaws that you admit that you have in the book. And, and you're not afraid to talk about those things. That's, that is very admirable because I don't know how many people who have lived the life that you have would go there and would be willing to talk about 
how oh you overcame God, like, those what things. Was? I've got so many. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's, I mean, I, like, like I mentioned with John Elway, when you're talking about Elway, I mean, I, 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 I like football. I'm a football fan. And I remember watching John Elway as a kid and, you know, reading all this stuff about him. I, I don't think it was trashy in any way. I think it was very real. And I think it, like I said, it, it showed him in a different light. It made him human. You know, I mean, these things that, that, that John dealt with. I mean, we can all try to paint a picture of perfection well, in our thank lives. You. Right? I, 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 that means a lot to me because I never wanted to, even though a lot of people encouraged me to air his dirty laundry and, and, uh, you know, sell books by uh, capitalizing on that. I, I didn't feel right to me. And I knew that either way, uh, he would hate me because you know in that situation you can't win he's not going to see it like oh I came from a loving place either whether I made it didn't matter if I completely trashed him and aired his dirty laundry or did it the classy way like you know what I wrote um, either way in, in his eyes it would be just the fact that I talked about him but then I thought you know what he fucking married the girl he cheated on me with like he isn't. He, he's gonna hate me no matter what I do. He doesn't. Okay, before the book came out, no, he didn't hate me. I used to say hi to you know through mutual friends, took her, I said hi, whatever. Like you know, but I I knew. Oh, look, we're never going to be in a relationship again, and I have to speak my truth, and I don't want to do it in a way that throw someone else under the bus like that was not my intention it but he is human and this is my analyzation of him and if he doesn't like it well too bad you can write one about me too you know like go ahead write one about me too um i I might not like it either but that we did have a relationship and you know it's it's that's what you get, I guess, when you're a public figure. I have to deal with, and so does he, people talking about us all the time. Um, I just turned it around, I guess. I just decided to um, change. Um, okay, what, did, what am I trying to say? When you, <laughs> I empowered myself by speaking. I it, believe it, so. I believe so. I yeah. mean, I mean, when, I, if you yeah. let, if you let everybody else speak for decide you, decide who you are, yeah. yes, or, or assume, or uh, a hint, like Paul Stanley, but some playmate, you know, that was like, and everyone can, you know. Well, it's, dim- it's diminishing your existence in, in a way, you know. It's like it's diminishing you to this object instead of a person. And Yeah, well, I fucking, like, I, excuse me, I, I, that makes me so angry. I react every time. Yeah, like, it's just, you know, that that and because that was the most vulnerable moment of my life that he chose to write about and and the most um, as you know meaningful relationship and uh, he's so uh, never mind I'm about to get into him again and I shouldn't but you know it's just it was wrong uh, in, in every direction and and to capitalize when you don't need to capitalize on someone else's pain. Um, that's, that was the, that's where I, that's where the needle, um, is in the heart and I'm 
okay, I'm I'm not even going to go there. It's going to get no, no. Let's uh, yeah. yeah, let's you know, let's 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 end on the positive note of you know who you are and the journey. Yeah, that I, you I took. don't want to end it with Talkston, like, right? Because yeah, like, I I think everyone, if you're following us and you're a Kiss fan, you already heard my point that it was really wrong at somebody. Okay, if you're already a Kiss fan you're probably aware that it was extremely gratuitous and obnoxious for Paul Stanley to bring my name into his book without saying my name. You just call me some playmate as if I didn't exist. That was sensationalism because he wanted to use the word playmate and then um, to that I was acting as, uh, uh, we don't even want to talk about it. Right, I don't know right. why I'm talking about it. No, let, let's let's just let's end on the journey. Yeah, stop let's, me, stop me, stop me. Let's, I don't want to go there. Let's end That's on. What I, said I didn't want to do. Let's end on the adventure. Let's end on the journey. Let's end on the strong woman that you are. Once again, Carrie, I I I appreciate this conversation, and you know, for those listening, get the book. It's a tremendous story. Um, I think you'll enjoy it, and I know you'll enjoy it. And also, oh, and for to, those li- for those lazy readers, the audiobook will be out in the next two weeks. <laughs> yes, you can listen to audiobook. Um, but also, so to, right now, right now we have um, well, it's paperback and hardcover. I don't know when you're releasing this podcast, but within the next two weeks, the uh, audio will be out. For those looking to read this and buy the book it's it's available uh, like carrie just said on audio you can find it on barnes and noble and amazon and there's some goodies on her vip package that's listed on her website carriestevens.com carrie why don't you go ahead and tell people what they can get if they order it on your website i have vip packages available for my book um you can there's the paperback there's a hardcover and each comes with a selfie of me signing the book because I have never, ever signed a copy of Unrated just with my signature. I've always personalized it. So if it doesn't say to your name, a specific name, it means it's fake. So if you ever see it on eBay, for instance, just Carrie Stevens, I've never, not once, signed any copy of my book with just my name. So this is just to prove to you that it is authentic and I go an extra step I'll make you a video a photo and I, it also comes with a trading card which is like very handy as a bookmark so it has a little protective case and I signed it to you and I send you photos of that too so that's the bells and whistles you can get that on my website carriestudents.com and I also have the links to you I mean I also have the links there for Barnes and Noble and Amazon and the hardcover paperback and soon to be audible version will be available there. Well, and also too, look for Carrie as one of the co-hosts on the hook rocks live stream coming here at the end of January. Um, she will be appearing um, over different episodes over a few weeks and, and in between and all that. But we look forward to having 
Carrie on the show, adding her insight and adding her commentary to many of the music topics that are happening today, and plus also helping us out with some interviews when we have guests on the show too. So I am excited about that. I'm excited to have her. As you can tell, she's got some great insight with with a lot of knowledge, and she brings a lot to the table. So I'm very excited about that. So thank you, Carrie, for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I'm happy to have you. And once again, everybody, Carrie Stevens, go get the book, Unrated. I'm Revelations J- of a Rock and Roll Centerfold. Yes, and I'm Jay Scott. <laughs> this is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.